Welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 3, Issue 149. You can play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 3 if you play Hotline Miami this week, before we talk about it next week. And that's the end of the volume, end of our third year. Uh, next volume, Volume 4, will be coming your way uh, early this winter or late this autumn, depending on how you want to look at it. And uh, we'll be announcing a slew of new games that we'll be covering then. In the meantime, head to canerince.com for all our other stuff, like our blog and videos and articles and features and our forum, as well as you can find links to our merchandise store and things like our Facebook page. We're looking for your likes. Our Google Plus, add us to your circles and our YouTube channel. Please subscribe and also subscribe, review and rate us on iTunes. Thank you very much. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Jay Taylor. Hello. Tony Atkins. Hello. And a guest from Game Burst, Gary Blower. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, slightly different sort of game this time. You've recently joined us for what? Burnouts and Viva Pinatas, and now it's Dragons and Elves. High and fantasy. And stuff. Yeah. High dark fantasy. Indeed. Right, we'll do the spoiler warning. Now, I don't know how likely it is that we'll actually spoil things because the details of the plot, I know for some of us, are quite distant and vague. Um, and there's a lot of it. There's complex stuff. But we may we may give things away. Um, certain story points may well be uh, covered across. But the chances are, you, you if you haven't played Dragon Age before, um, you might forget them before you actually went back to the game um, anyway. So... Uh, I hope it's the kind of podcast that if you haven't played Dragon Age before, it might persuade you that it would be a good idea to. So Dragon Age Origins uh, started development in the wake of the success of the Lord of the Rings uh, film trilogy, I would say. About 2004, Return of the King had just swept all before it at the Oscars, I guess. And um, this sort of thing was resurgent in its popularity i suppose it's fair to say um the game of thrones books were a thing at this point but of course this is well before the tv show um the developer was bioware edmonton that's in canada unless my geography fails me which it does sometimes um and the console ports were handed uh, handled by edge of reality uh, it's made in the eclipse engine which I am not too familiar with, um, but I, I believe they built the game at least somewhat in the Neverwinter Nights engine, but I don't know if that's the Eclipse engine and this was just like a more advanced version of it. All I know is Eclipse is a development tool. But I, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, EA published it, naturally, as uh, they were um, tight with Bioware at this point. And the director is uh, Dan Tudge. Now, most of the most of the crew uh, on this game, uh, obviously, there are many, many names. Um, probably won't be uh, super familiar to that many people. Um, you may know names like Mike Laidlaw, but um, these are generally um, stars of the Bioware back catalogue. Um, so, a, a lot of these people worked on games like Neverwinter, um, and even going back as far as um, Baldur's Gate and uh, Jade Empire, of course, other things like that. 
the lead writer was David Guider. And uh, we'll come on to the music, which was composed by Enon Zur later on. Uh, first release was uh, simultaneous on Windows PC 360 and PlayStation 3 in oh, November 2009, nearly five years ago. Though Japan, they waited two years for their translation, uh, or near enough, maybe just over a year, actually, January 2011. And a Mac version arrived um, soon after the original uh, release in December 2009. Uh, now, let's get more personal. Um, how did we come about to play this game the first time around? And let's start with our guest, Gary. Uh, I pre-ordered and got uh, Dragon Age on day of release, mostly off the back of, you know, absolutely loving Mass Effect. Um, right. And previous Bioware games. Um, Knights of the Old Republic? I mean, that's... Yeah, uh, Knights, yeah. it's the usual thing, Jade Empire, Knights of the Old Republic, and before yeah. that I played uh, one of the Baldur's Gates, I can't remember which one it was now. Mm. Um, but uh, I didn't get very far with it, it has to be said. Oh. So I abandoned it pretty quickly, and uh, it was actually Tony here who tried to persuade me of its virtues. I found it almost unplayable initially in really? difficulty. Yeah, and I discovered it was because of the class of character I chose. Right. And completely and the fact that the game d didn't really do anything to explain how you use tactics. That's so, a, that's that's a good point. We'll get into that. Yeah, so I'll talk about I, that yeah. a bit later. Yes, but then yeah. I I then uh, was it about 18 months later Dragon Age 2 came out, which I mm. played and loved, but that's for another show perhaps. Mm. Uh, and one of the few people that like it actually. A lot of people hate that game. Um It's a divisive and, one, we'll say. Yes. And off the back of that, I learned how to play Dragon Age properly. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I then went back and immediately played Dragon Age again uh, all the way through this time and then straight into Awakening. So I actually did two Origins and Awakenings back to back. Cool. So yes, uh I thoroughly enjoyed it once I had overcome that initial mm. hump, which I think, yeah. you know, we'll obviously get into. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, Jay? Um, I didn't play it on release. Um, I, I took about two years to get around to playing this game. Um, in fact, I'd played... I mean, I'd been a, a interested in Bioware since the Knights of the Old Republic and, and Jade Empire myself, so they were on my radar, and then... They made a game called Mass Effect, which I got really into. And it wasn't until um, post Mass Effect 2 that I was on a real Bioware kick at that point because of them kind of blowing my mind with that second game. And then, um, yeah, I think it was, it was early 2011 that I picked it up for like $9.99 on a sale on an online store. And then... Um, Proceeded to invest several, well, well over a hundred hours playing the, uh, playing the thing. Was that the 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 whole lot, the whole gamut, or no? Just... That was just the original, just the default vanilla game. Um, there was a bit of DLC there, you know, things like the Warden's Keep and stuff yeah. that that you came along. But I, I I actually can't remember if I just picked that stuff because it was like three pound a pop. I think I might mm. have picked that stuff yeah. up as I went and just as I got more into it, I thought, oh, what the hell, just keep buying this stuff, you know. Uh, so a hundred hours. Does does that mean that you played more than one character, or no? It, it doesn't. Through? It means no. that I like with all these games, I will spend hours just grinding, going around, and <laughs> just I, I've got this thing with all these kind of RPGs as as I currently am with Destiny, which is just constantly having to sort of 
get those levels as, and Dragon's Dogma as well, which is just like, you know, yeah. I was like, well, currently like 147 on that, which Trying is like, to beat Bitter Black Isle or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it was yeah. just, um, it's that kind of thing where I get that way with these games where I don't want to get stressed with fighting. So I just level the hell out of everything before I go into a fight. Did you read all the codexes? And no, all that? not really. No, no. no. Okay. Um, sorry, Gary, which format or formats have you, uh, did you play on when you beat the games? Um, originally, 360 yeah uh, and then more recently uh because i've played a bit of origins again and dragon age 2 again on ps3 uh, okay. and again maybe we'll talk about the difference differences between those, yes there is some considerable ones mm. and I, I have given it a bash on the mac as well okay but i didn't yeah. get too far but it, it's interesting how different that is that's mm-hmm. yes yeah, what we'll, that's what i'm doing at the moment we'll come, come on to, uh, to that tony what about you did you buy this day one on console or I'm still trying to get over. You said Lord of the Rings was 2004. Return of the King. Uh, Return of the King was Jeez. actually, was that the, I think 2004 Oscars, wasn't it? Was it, was it, no, didn't no. they come out 2001, 2002 and 2003? That's, the that's makes me feel old anyway, moving on from that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was an intro. I mean, like everyone else, I played Mass Effect. Um, absolutely adored Mass Effect. So was very interested to see what the next output of Bioware was. And this is, I must admit, I was a little bit intimidated by what they were talking about when they, they were always talking about Dragon and Age in, in the way that, you know, party members can die and, and that's it. And it all depends about, you know, the morale of keeping up, you know, what you do in the game. And all that stuff was a little bit like, uh, I'm not too sure if I want to get involved in that. That sounds quite PC-esque. Um, but I, I gave it a shot anyway. And, I, you know, looking back at my achievements, I, I remember I played it in January of 2010. So it was uh, yeah, my normal time off over Christmas. I think looking at my achievements, I pretty much played it nonstop for a month. Yeah. Uh, completion time in the end was about 60 hours. So Jay found another 40 on me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I played a, what did I, it was a elf warrior, which is really weird. If you actually know the lore of Dragon Age, why I went down that road, I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, an elf warrior. Uh, I bought this day one. It was one of those that crept up on me, a game that I knew was coming, but I had, you know, I hadn't decided that I was definitely up for buying it. But then the review started coming in, and the buzz was around. And I mean, we're we're going back now to the point where Twitter was still quite early, but it was very mm-hmm. much at a point where that, you know, that that uh, peer-led buzz about a game on Twitter was was starting to become a real factor in the games I was interested in playing. Um, and yeah, I went and bought it for probably, uh, you know, I could have got it a lot cheaper, but I went down to the nearest shop from where I was working at the time and paid 40 something quid for the Xbox 360 version. Um, no regrets in doing so. Cause I got, yeah, probably about, you know, including all the DLC, uh, and awakening, which I, I borrowed, um, probably 80 to hundred hours out of it. Um, I, one, one thing we'll talk about is the difficulty levels um, as well. Uh, and I, my first playthrough, um, in the end, I did start on normal, but uh, I went on to easy. Now, this time, I've gone back to it to play it for this podcast. Unfortunately, I haven't got as far as I wanted to, but I have played uh, about seven or eight hours um, on the PC version, which I picked up some time ago in a Steam sale for some ludicrous amount of money. You know, just for the amount of <laughs> game you get, like three quid for the ultimate edition of Dragon Age is just it's just obscene really um but playing it on pc it does in some ways it feels like it's natural home it's also made me realize a couple of things and this will segue into the version differences 
at the time, um, I was, uh, you know, I knew that Bioware had a lot of history with PC, and even though obviously they've made Jade Empire and, and Mass Effect with consoles in mind. But it's interesting now to play the PC version, which is very mouse and keyboard driven indeed, very mouse heavy. Um, and it actually made me really impressed by the amount of streamlining that um, Edge of Reality team did to port the game to the consoles with very little compromise. Um, the there's there's something really nice about playing a, a kind of proper hardcore RPG on a PC, and you can you know just drag and drop your potions around and and put your um, your your actions into your action bar, which are you know activated by number keys at the bottom of the screen and things like that. But it feels a lot more feels a lot more full on than the console versions. But actually, the game is pretty much identical. Um, Isn't the and, camera view slightly higher up as well? Well, you, yeah, I mean, that, the only, that is the only main difference is that you can mouse wheel to zoom out to give you a tactical view of the action. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this conversation has to segue into both difficulty and version differences in, in some way here. So um, my story is, so I played the first game as a, a human rogue female not that that makes much difference, um, although I suppose it does with some, I of, your in, in, yeah. some of your interactions with um, other characters. Obviously, the, this has the Bioware relationships uh, type thing for those who don't know. Um, and I played it, as I say, I played it on normal for a while. And uh, now on normal, I think it's a it's a pretty tough and as as Gary found on his first playthrough, unforgiving game at first. And the the tactics the the micromanagement basically these are um, also a macros that you have to design for each of your party, and also the other, the other problem with it at first is like later in the game you you end up with a you know a big band of how many it is seven eight characters that you select from a group of each time you you go out on a sortie. But early on in the game, you keep ending up with these different characters, people who are going to be grey wardens and random soldiers and things like this, and so they keep coming into the to the fight. And so you have to, if you want to get the best out of them, and certainly if you were playing on hard, I imagine, which I wouldn't dare touch, you would definitely need to make the effort to go in and give these guys the macros. That is to say, tell them to attack when attack nearest enemy when, you know, safe. Always use a potion if you're less than this level. Give somebody else a potion if you're not that level. Use this special move if there's somebody in this status. It, it's deep and it's complex. And on easy, you can pretty much bypass all of that and just just have a Knights of the Old Republic style melee where everyone piles in and there's loads of clashing <laughs> and swords and blood spraying and it's fun and it's fine and, and that's how I enjoyed the game as a kind of interactive high dark fantasy story but I'm now playing it on normal on PC and you have to watch out for area damage uh, friendly fire and um, I've already died multiple times and I'm only seven hours into the game <laughs> Exactly the same as you, Leon. I chose the same character as well. Right. right. And I think the the issue I had is I'd gone for I went for like a ranged build early on. Yeah. Um. And certainly in Origins, uh, it's kind of broken. Um. Mm. If you're a ranged character, uh, particularly if you're not a magic ranged character, because you've got no area of effect. Um, spells or abilities so in those early sort of encounters you just get absolutely decimated because you're quite weak and you're reliant on range attack but they just rush you yeah and I had no idea that I had to code Bioware's AI for them, <laughs> um, 
for well, the I NPCs. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, it was, you know, then that's why it was quickly abandoned. I mean, I didn't even... I did try dropping down to easy, but even then, without, uh, with, a, with a range build at the point I got right. to, it was probably yeah. about four hours in. It's just hopeless. I pretty much 100% agree. I was using uh, bow and arrow mm. um, and got decimated and decided to go more melee focused um and it was perfectly fine but i started playing on normal and actually you know as i talked about before i was apprehensive about how complex dragon age was going to be anyway um you know and as a console game it's terrible as that sounds i was you know i i knew that after a few hours that you know micromanaging all that stuff it's probably easier on the pc but on the console it, it you know there's a lot of kind of you know messing around the controllers um, to yeah. get into the you know the deeper end, you know, get into the menu screens, taking forever to load, etc. So um, yeah, and you know, quite often, and we've always said this, you shouldn't be ashamed to drop it down and easy. I found the game to be not fun. I enjoyed the story. I was really enjoying the story and the big decision making, and found the combat is just you know the bit you need to get through to you know for me to enjoy the story. So I dropped it down to easy, and yeah, I played a dual wielding. Yeah, uh, you know, Melly Elf, and yeah. <laughs> it was really good. It was really good and fun. But, but on the flip side, like that's exactly what I did. I played <laughs> it through. My rogue was very much, you know, two daggers. I think one, you know, one of them poison, one of them ice, and all this sort of thing. And it was great fun, and I could lay traps and and. But I, I was, I was also kind of felt that once I'd got over the initial uh, hurdles, I felt like I was barreling through the game a bit more, and so. Um, what I'm currently my my current game I've decided to play as a as a male elf mage so completely different from mm-hmm. my last character. Um, so you start even weaker. You know, there's lots of um, you know armors that aren't appropriate and things like that. Um, you are a, by definition as a mage, you're pretty much a ranged character. Um, you know, so I've got this uh, Winter's Grasp spell, which, you know, has a chance of freezing enemies and, and things like this. And I've got some basic healing spells to keep the rest of my party alive. But yeah, you know, for instance, the first the first boss you fight um, at the, the sort of the end of the first part of closed off story where you have no choice about where to go and whatever. Um, yeah, just kept killing me. And like the first time, actually, I got it down to like a slither, a slither of health, a sliver of health even. Um and then, but like the next few times, it just went horribly wrong. Then I went back in, tweaked some things. But at this stage, there's no way to grind. There's no way to do what Jay was saying. You know, of, of there's no random enemies that you can go and just get to a, such a high level that you just go in and throw a pee at him and he falls over. It's it's impossible. So you have to get into that. And actually, what I wanted to do with this playthrough on the PC version is go in deep to that to that stuff. I to- totally take Gary's point about coding <laughs> Bioware's AI for them, but there are a load of templates in there, but uh, most of them are uh, uh, an, uh, unoptimal, let's say. And actually, I realized that what I wanted from this deep, hardcore RPG tactical combat experience was the ability to set, uh, actually set this up myself. And actually, that was, for me, part of the skill it, well, it is now on this playthrough. I want it to be part of the experience of actually having that kind of, you know, that proper role-playing kind of tactical stuff. Do you think that would carry over, though, if you were still playing it on the 360? Or is it purely I, the fact that having it on the PC, it feels... It did, it, it did for me, Tony. I actually love all that tactic stuff now. Yeah. That's the thing that sold me on the game, which is why I then carried on. Because I, I learned how to do it in Dragon Age 2. Mm. So um, I, I just wish that in the original Dragon Age Origins, they made 
more of an attempt to tell you about that. They yeah. just left you to discover, really. That was the problem with it. But once you know how to do it, it's it's kind of cool. And the one the thing I really like about it, obviously being a tabletop guy, mm. is the fact uh, that kind of stuff is lifted straight from you know tabletop manuals where you're controlling AI pieces on a board. So yeah, yeah. there are plenty of dungeon crawl um, tabletop games, you know, with miniatures, and you normally have like a a card deck for your AI pieces and generally you will organise those card decks in a similar way to the way you do the tactics in the in yeah. Dragon Age so you can tell where they've lifted it from I, you know it's just such a shame they didn't make more of it originally because I, I think it adds so much depth and I, I did it the same is. as you Leon yeah. I deleted all of the pre-built stuff um, and just I knew what I needed my two characters with me to do so by optimising it and to complement your own skills and, and what you're trying to achieve it it just made it that much more enjoyable. And you could even, like you said, you can have different builds for different scenarios as well. So, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, boss battles, you obviously need someone to be chucking potions out all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, you know, uh, Bioware, obviously, you know, they used to have uh, the, the D&D license and they, and they put that code, you know, the, the, the D&D combat straight into Baldur's Gate and then they lifted it out and put it in Knights of the Old Republic and then they pretty much put it in Mass Effect as well so I think we're pretty much looking at a proper you know D&D in terms of the the stats handling and things like that yeah I mean I'm I'm not familiar with D&D it's it's based yeah well um Knights of the Old Republic was based on the D20 rule set for right. D&D, which I can't remember which version it was, probably two or three, someone will correct me, but it was one of the sort of big overhaul they did of the D&D rule set to make it so you only needed to use one 20-sided right. dice for most things. Uh, it simplified everything, so everything yeah. was adding 20 to something, so it became, yeah, it streamlined it, and that's what Bioware used in their RPGs, and I think underneath the hood both Dragon Age and the original Mass Effect were still using parts of that. I think so, yeah. Um, so, Jay, and, uh, we've discussed before, you tend to play games on easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you did you go through this on easy? And does that mean that you never even had to look into this micromanagement of strategy? No, but what's interesting to me is I, when I go back and think about all these kind of games, be it Skyrim, any of these kind of RPG types of thing i've always started them played a few hours then dump it start again because i always have this thing where i need quite an extended tutorial and it's interesting even you guys talk about how you've, you you've had this and it, it, this kind of experience because this is kind of what happens to me every time i play these games because mm. i've got to get my head around how it works and then i want to start from the very beginning understanding that stuff yeah. Well, it's almost and set then, up perfectly because you've got all the origin stories of John characters. So you, yeah, yeah. you can just mess around for a good, probably about six hours, just seeing what all the origin stories are yeah, about. Yeah, sometimes it's even, it's a little bit more trivial. Though. Sometimes it's, I don't like the, the hairstyle I've given the character or something. So I think, oh, yeah. let's start again. <laughs> or I don't like their eye color or something. But but it's the same thing. You know, it's like you get to like what can be like five or six hours into the game. And then you realise you've kind of screwed things up and you haven't optimised it in the way. So quite often, and this goes back to like the Final Fantasy games as well. I've done this with them where I literally start again because now I understand how that stuff works. Now I I get it, how I'm supposed to do this. And even playing it on easy, you know, it was just, yeah, the combat was straightforward. And I always play like a warrior class. I'm literally just a hammer and, you know, go into those things with the shield and, and a big sword and that's that. But... You know, I like the yeah. I'm I'm quite into the depth. It, it reminded me a little of the way that sort of Final Fantasy. I get the numbers mixed up. Was it twelve where you could, you had the whole instructing your team and how yeah, that yeah. and and that stuff. I really really appeals to me when you're playing because it feels personalized 
on a, on a really good level, you know, yeah. like you, 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 you instructing your team, they're responding to you as their commander kind of thing. And I really dig all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously then you've also got the, the relationship with the, the relationships as it were as well. Mm. We'll come on to that. We should talk a little, uh, a little more about the version differences. Um, when I played this, uh, my own experience was playing this on 360. I, back in 2009, I thought, it looked a bit rough, and my assumption was that uh, it was that the PC version was, you know, probably looked absolutely stunning, and it was the console versions, you know, didn't didn't have as much, uh, you know, didn't have as high resolution textures or whatever. Um, it's true to a point. I'm playing the PC version now with everything absolutely maxed out, uh, but it's still not what you would call a pretty game. Um, there's some really nice design in there, like some of the armors and the costumes and, and all that. You can tell that the artists, you know, I've, I've been looking at the concept art on, on YouTube today. It's, you know, some really gorgeous stuff. There's obviously loads of talented people at Bioware, but the in-game engine just doesn't seem, the, the, the textures uh, quite rough, quite murky, even on the PC version at maximum settings. Things like the the distance, uh, the trees in the distance from a high view look like they're made out of literally about four polygons. Um, and yeah, just surprising, like the the actual lack of um, sort of lighting and whether it, sort of dynamic effects and things like that. Um, it's it's not a it's certainly not a deal breaker for me. And I like how kind of rough and scrungy the world looks in this game it's not meant to be it's not meant to be just beautifully ornate you know mm-hmm. like uh, some of the places in in high fantasy tend to be in, in some of say final fantasy games this is a it's a it's a developing world and it's a it's a broken world but the actual quality of the graphics i you know like it it looks to me i've, I've played games from further ago that looked prettier shinier newer do you know what i mean yeah, I mean, I I, um, I was playing. I played a couple of hours today for it, and 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 surprisingly, I thought I was going to have far more of a, an issue with the way that it looked than I did. And it's amazing. It, it, I felt that whilst it's obviously showing its age now, and and the textures are muddy to say the least. Mm. Um, but it, it, I don't know. It it just felt a little quaint rather than sort of <laughs> like, oh my god, what the hell is this? But but. Um, there was just one, yeah. The only thing that I had a real issue with was the blood, <laughs> which is <Yeah>. just—it's <laughs> like it's so OTT. And yeah, I just think, come on, didn't anybody think this is just a bit daft? That's just this. the first thing I turn off. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it just looks idiotic. Well, it, I mean, it's persistent in uh, cutscenes, isn't it? So you end yeah. Up, yeah. And yeah. what's weird is is the first sort of fight you have is with a bunch of rats. So you go into this little <laughs> yeah. room in the ki- off the kitchen and and slaughter a bunch Depending of rats on in there. Which story you're playing, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was playing the human character, yeah. and and the thing is, the cut you you walk out the cutscene afterwards is you walk out and you're literally covered in head to toe of blood, and it's just like that's stupid. But it's just I don't know. It adds moments of comedy rather than sort of anything else. I yeah, thought. definitely. I have to say, at the time playing it, I, there was a lot of criticisms of the way it looked, um, and I guess I just I went. Do you know what I I like the kind of setting of mm, the yeah, Dragon Ages more so than I I think it's obvious that the textures are quite brown and quite muddy but um yeah I you know when you're down in in the you know down with the trolls underground and stuff you know mm. I thought the the way that the areas were laid out were very good there was some actually some fairly big kind of chamber areas and other times like moving from place to place you're at these really small kind of just getting from A to B areas that made very little sense and and were hard to navigate but uh yeah overall I think you know 
look wise or aesthetically i think it's a, a, a you know a well put together game but there is definitely yeah but it i guess coming off mass effect as well which kind of looked very you know fantastical um coming to dragon age you know being a bit more kind of brown and realistic it did, yeah it left a little bit to be desired well, but and least- now it's very very rough to go back i found i spent a few hours of it and was like oh yeah it's not the most important thing of course but it's um, not, but... if you it's not like say the witcher 2 or the new shadow of mordor that you're going to play it because you know you want to see this stunning fantasy world because it won't deliver that unfortunately but it delivers something of its own and an atmosphere i think hmm. it has it has this quite mm-hmm. quite quite grimy atmosphere which is which is unusual as i say i think um uh, yeah, looking, uh, watching an in, uh, an interview from uh, one of the writers from back in two thousand and nine. Um, at the time, they they you know they were very open about they were they were trying to marry um, the the high fantasy of Tolkien with the darker fantasy of you know, and they named George R R Martin when you know, and this is before he was a household name because um, HBO started making a series. You've got the the very you know the simple good versus evil and the elves and the they're not orcs, they're darkspawn, but you've got the dwarves um, of the Lord of the Rings and you've got the grunge and the politics and the sex of, of, Game of Game of Thrones. I mean, I'd be interested how many people are listening to this who have got well into Game of Thrones but missed this game at the time and don't realise that actually this is possibly, at, at this point at least, the most sort of authentic Game of Thrones gaming experience you're going to get, uh, from my understanding of Game of Thrones anyway. Um, those console versions then, as I say, uh, you know, I'm playing it now at 60 frames a second with everything turned up to the max. Um, at the time, I believe I understood that the PlayStation 3 version had slightly sharper textures, but as was as is traditional, uh, a slightly lower frame rate. Gary? It's terrible. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're going to pick up these games to play now, if you're not playing before, then if you're not going to do it on PC, then I'd steer clear of the PS3 version. I tried to play Awakenings again a few months ago on the ps3 and i had to abandon it pretty quickly because it was just the frame rate was a slideshow in places as soon as there's more than about a dozen enemies on screen which is actually what happens at the very beginning of awakenings yeah um it just grinds to a hole it just can't cope Mm. which is a pity but like you said leon there was a period wasn't there where there were just lots of sort of unoptimized ps3 ports coming along yeah yeah um you know notoriously bayonetta um i think this you can add this to that list yeah shame it's you can still play it, but yeah. it's it's the if you've got the choice, there are better versions. Yeah, sure. Um, audio wise, uh, you're greeted when you load the game uh, with this uh, sweeping Enon Zur music. Um, people will know Enon Zur from various games uh, and other things, films, but probably mainly from things like what. Fallout 3. Um, of course, the music in that, uh, the, perhaps the most famous is the licensed stuff. Um, but yes, uh, Crisis and uh, other Bioware games, I think. Is Icewind Dale a Bioware game? But, oh, he's Baldur's, Baldur's Gate 2 anyway. And uh, yes, um, a, long, a long relationship with games. Um, the orchestra is Seattle's Northwest Sinfonia. Sinf- that is Sinfonia, as in a sin, um, and 
they perform on many a film score, including things like Valkyrie and Drag Me to Hell and that recent Rambo film <laughs> and Brokeback Mountain. Um, but also they've appeared on uh, games going all the way back to uh, Medal of Honor and Medal of Honor Underground. Um, Secret Weapons over Normandy, and uh, they also played on Crisis. And there's a vocal, of course, by Aubrey Ashburn, um, which uh, I think is really beautiful, the the opening theme to this mm. game. Um, it's she, very Lord of the Ring-esque. Yes, I mean, there's a there's a clear... Uh, it's Howard Shaw, isn't it, the Lord mm-hmm. of the Ring? Yeah, there's a clear influence, but it does... I think it does also manage to have that little extra edge of um yeah grunginess griminess that that fits so, the world a bit better mm-hmm. yeah, i'll say it's a little bit celtic a little bit clannady, yeah. bit clannady yes yeah, that, um, yeah. But it, it has that kind of celtish lilt to it which uh, just makes it very airy and light uh, other than you know the sort of uh tolkien uh, the yeah. tolkien film soundtracks is more sort of ethereal and elf-like mm. whereas this is more like you said grungy and Seems to be more placed in a reality. I, I love the soundtrack. I've, I occasionally sneak it into Game Burst edits every now and then. <laughs> it's, <laughs> interesting. it's one of my favourites, actually. Because I've haven't played the game for you know, four years, all but and going back to it and just you know powering it up and hearing that theme tune again mm. for the first time in that long, it's just you know floods of memories of the game started coming back to me because it's you know you spend 60 plus hours of a game <laughs> you know you've seen that start screen a lot and yeah. even uh, you know my wife upstairs heard it playing and she. You know, come down and say, oh my god, is that Dragon Age? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those themes. I think if you hear it and you've played the game, it, it's you know almost instantaneously identical, identifiable. But, uh, yeah, it's quite Celtic-esque, isn't it? I have no idea what she's saying, um, whether it's uh, whether it's Celtic, some uh, Gaelic language or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah. like like he says in Shawshank Redemption, I don't want to know. No doubt we opened up the show a bit so people can guess. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've heard no. that. We won't. We'll be oh. closing the show, in it? Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, uh, we've already sort of discussed the, the basic setting. Um, the outline of the story, I mean, one of the, one of the I think, incredibly ambitious things about this game and something that they abandoned <laughs> for the sequel, uh, as I recall, was the idea that you had... Um, how many different origin stories are there? Six? Is it six? Something like that. It's around a five or six, yeah. It's yeah. a lot, and... Like those bits in themselves are, you know, opening playable sequences that introduce you to the, those characters. Um, the certain there are certain nuances to this world that make it slightly different from traditional fantasy, such as uh, the elves are uh, ha- are recently out of enslavement. Um, the dwarves have been kind of driven away underground, as I recall. And there's very, you know, it's not quite. Um, there, there is this political side. It's not just like everyone lives in their own place or or lives in you know, uneasy harmony or, or whatever. There, there is actually a, there's, there's reasons why everyone's where they are, and 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 these openings, um, kind of introduce you to these ideas. The major, the magi live in their tower. They don't come out, and if and if they practice the dark arts, they get hunted down by the Templars. And there's all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. And actually, it's one thing that um, I sort of find difficult when I'm when I've got a new video game. It's like, but if I do that. I'm never yeah. going to have time to you, play you it. You never through. have the knowledge at the very front end to to make these big sweeping decisions. Yeah, yeah. And you feel like you're going to miss out on stuff unless you play through the game like umpteen times, which you don't feel like you're probably going to do because you haven't got 700 hours spare or whatever. There is uh, there is some interesting twists because the elves are actually the the underclass of society. That's right. And, yeah. You know, classic. Yeah. You know, 
literature of this kind anyway they're normally the you know the, the higher beans yeah they're very aloof the enlightened yeah, ones so right. yeah. i always found that as own I, I think that's one of the reasons i i chose that because i it seemed to be quite a, an interesting odd twist mm. so i i actually it's, it's the one feature that i wish they'd kept with games like mass effect is obviously it logistically it's it's got to be a nightmare scripting sure. all the various sort of influences that the characters or the the type of character will have on the story i just feel that it, it it gave so much to this particular game being able to see it from different perspectives and and have those you know like the elves with the underclass and stuff that that stuff made it kind of interesting because it kind of influenced your character in a certain way you know the, all the responses you had mm. if oh, yeah. you put yourself into that character because i played two I've, I've got two builds i realized looking at the saves one was um the You've got the two elves, haven't you? You've got the, is it the Dalish elves, the wood elves? And then yeah. you've got the, the yeah. ones that are in the town. Mm. Now, I played the town one, and that's where you, you kind of set a little rebellion going and stuff. And and that kind of influence, I get into the character, so I'm playing, like like the word, you know, is role-playing. I got into that thing, so I was like this, you know, bullish kind of antagonistic character the always chip on his shoulder because you've yeah, been yeah, ghettoized yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean obviously the, the answers are kind of there given that anyway but you can't I always chose those rather than being the sort of subservient type person I was like yeah no I'm playing this character but but it, it, you know I always think that it, it's just, for, for whatever reason they decided to streamline the stories and with the later games and I often feel that Mass Effect would have been awesome had you been able to play it from a Quarian perspective or a Lasari perspective and stuff yeah. I'm sure know. it must I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it comes probably down to, to bean counting when mm. when 2004 uh, you know when this game was first pitched uh, that the games industry was you know quite a different place 10 years ago and that pro- that thing probably that sort of thing didn't sound so you know different to things that had gone before in these very yeah. ambitious pc uh rpgs whereas now you know they obviously they famously the sequel was was a, was a rushed product even its fans would would admit that with it with some of its uh you know its development time and some of its repeated dungeons and things like that um i suspect that there may be writers, there may be developers, coders at places like studios like Bioware who would love to do that sort of thing. Mm. But the idea of make, you know putting all those resources into something that a huge <clears> chunk <throat> of your audience will well, never I, see. I yeah. think Bioware are a very different company then as well. Very, very much so. Yeah, very, very mm. different company. Mm. Uh, and you know, Dragon Age was given a very long life cycle to to spawn into something you know, very, very deep, um, and it didn't necessarily have to heat hit the high bean counters that you know it's sequel or even probably the new one it has to um so they have to streamline parts and you know some of that's probably for the better and but it's it's interesting you talk about the story i actually think the main story uh, like most of these games isn't actually anything that wonderful like it's you know, kill, pretty much lord of the rings kill the high demon yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. you blah 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 it's none unite, of that unite against the blight yeah but it, it's it's the it's the sub stories it's all the side quests absolutely well, even like the side quests it's the going down uh, and you know into to see the el- the elves going down to see the dwarves uh, and getting mixed up in a political battle between you know two dwarves and essentially having to pick sides of who is going to be a king because you know the king has just been killed and you, know, you can't escape this and you need to make a decision to even get out of this place and some of those decisions uh, you know are, you know are either personal and some of them are very much political in how you foresee the world 
uh, moving forward. And you've got the werewolves and then you've got the magi. Every single one of these factions have, you know, a really deep story, mm. um, each to their own. And actually the overarching story of, you know, kill the, the high dragon is, is a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You really get embroiled in all, in all the politics of the dwarves and, and yeah, the, the plight of the elves and, and yeah, all, all that stuff. Um, uh, it, it's also struck me going back to it, how the amount of, um, sort of conversations you have, the odd thing is that almost everyone in the world is voice acted except your main character, uh, probably mm-hmm. because as much as anything, because of the ambition of having umpteen different main characters with umpteen different, um, mm. uh, potential things they could say to different people, but the amount of, um, conversational options you have, even just with passing NPCs, you know, you walk into the first, uh, the very first village in the game after the sort of the intros over, uh, Lothering, um, you get greeted by some bandits on a bridge and you have like at least three or four different ways of dealing with them. And that, that sub branches into, into different things. So, you know, you can decide to just kill them and take the stuff. You can reason with them. You can argue with them. You can persuade them. You can intimidate them. You can let them go uh, even after you've, you know, whatever. And that's mm. just like one of the first encounters. Then you walk into the village and there's a salesman trying to rip off some locals and you have another similar thing. And, you know, this is just, I'm just seven hours into the game at this point mm. and it really brings back but- how much of this stuff goes on. The great thing of, of Dragon Age, and, and I still think this stands today against most other projects, is that it's it's ambiguity in choices. You know, there's there's not a you know you know what's it positive or negative? What do they call that? Good karma. There's no uh, uh, renegade or like paragon. In, no, yeah, it's, rene- not, it's not dark side, light side, like Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. yeah, there's there's no indication of that whatsoever. It's it's through dialogue choices. You know, you can get a, an idea, but some are really really you know unsure about you know you, i mean i can i can think of examples but if you if you talk of you know more like an overarching one of you know you you are set into you know to kill the werewolves um but the werewolves are a society of their own so they're not just beasts yeah. they you know you you end up having a, a talk with basically the the high lord of the werewolves and you realize their plight and actually their plight has you know a fairly decent cause of why they should still exist in this world the problem is you know they go out hunting and they kill people um but yeah they've kind of been cursed and you know do you kill the leader do you destroy the werewolves or do or do you you know let them continue sacrificing i think it's the night elves that are yeah. being being killed by the werewolves and you know it's that's a like there's no real right or wrong answer there because they are, are a yeah. society. These are very similar scenarios to ones that you'll recognise from Mass Effect and and other games, but they're done. It is done with more subtlety, and mm. I think it feels even if it even if it is an illusion, it feels like you have more choice and and more uh, scope to either either role play, and that is do you do like Jay was saying and actually determine a character for your your avatar a personality and uh, an MO like an actor would, you know, and actors always say that they, you know, or good actors always say that they consider their, their character's backstory, even if it's unwritten and that kind of thing. Um, as a player, we can do that and then decide how our character would respond in each of these situations. And I think but- that's partly why I played a woman in the first game, because I find it easier to not just play myself if I'm playing a, a different gender. Um, or you can just play it like I'm kind of more playing it this time, which is playing a character who who would who reacts like I would in this situation with those dialogue choices. I think the thing that Dragon Age gets so right, though, it allows you to have multiple hours with 
each faction before you end up having to make you know these big tough decisions i mean the, ultimately the decision is you know who's going to come and fight the high lord dragon with you at the very end of the game yeah. but actually that's just you know that's an end goal that's a, a kind you know just a tiny kind of side quest almost in, in itself the bigger problem for me was you know who do i prefer in this situation who do i not want to upset and, and when you make these bigger decisions and the other faction that you've actually have grown to like and understand uh but you haven't sided them start to kind of kick off and get you know, a, a little bit angry view, you, you, you do feel general remorse because you're like, well, you know, I, what did you want me to do? You know, I, I couldn't, I didn't really have a choice. Um, but I, I mean, I thinking of, I haven't gone back and played all 60 hours, but I can, there's certain ones that have really stood out in my mind for a very long time. And I think the biggest one for me was, this is a spoiler, um, no specifics, but there was a, um, there was a boy who had been uh, basically taken, you know, possessed by a demon um and there's three options uh you can kill the boy and move on with your quest if you really that mean um you can um exercise the demon from the boy um but to do this you had to have uh not have killed a mage who deals with black magic which is a, almost a, a a big quest in itself earlier in the game and i chose not to kill that mage um and let him free which also caused some other issues yeah, in yeah. that that quest yeah. um but if you so you can go off and get him but to rescue the boy, um, you have to sacrifice his mother. And his mother is the one pleading for her life so her boy can survive. Mm. So it's not just the case of, well, the, the, the boy lives because, yeah, the boy lives and his mother dies. But it's his, mother, his mother's choice to sacrifice herself for the son. And like, that is just really well-written um, you know, plot and scenarios uh, because that's a massive grey area. I mean, ultimately, I ended up sacrificing his mother and you know the boy is distraught about this because he's just lost his mother he may be survived but now you know he needs to go on and, and path his own way and you know, stuff like that i think it's that's really powerful they do a good job i think i think dragon age of all of their games i mean the all the a lot of the detail in dragon age is through the conversations anyway mm-hmm. um more so than than their other titles and they don't they do a really good job in in, in origins in particular of masking what would be the kind of happy path through each conversation so you know like in mass effect it was always obvious that you chose the top right if it was the paragon choice and you chose the bottom right if it was the renegade choice and you chose the one in the middle if you didn't really know what else to pick whereas in origins they did try to to mask that more so it wasn't always the case that you know you went in a certain direction for a certain type of response and i know that um that some people had a problem with that because they liked the fact that in Mass Effect, early Nazi Old Republic, it was pretty obvious which were the light and dark choices, but uh, and it meant that you could get into situations that you didn't predict. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, or that you, you know, like, like the example you gave there, Tony. And there were other sort of smaller examples of where you've given Hobson's choice, and you think you're giving the response that's the right response based on the you know the evidence you've been given, only to then find out you've just done the complete opposite. Yeah. Um. Um. Through some pretty clever you know, subterfuge in the storytelling. Mm. So, you know, it was, they, they did, there's a lot of ingenuity, uh, I think, in, in the quest design um, and in particular the relationship management stuff in, in Origins. And that's, you know, the kind of standout feature, really, of the Dragon Age series for me. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly something I can see why some people who want to, who who feel that they've 
had something taken away from them if you know you have got five text options or whatever and you know it's, it's like one of those um you know personality tests or you know potential employment tests where they give you you know which is the which is the best answer to this scenario and which is the worst um and of course one of the things is you can't hear the tone of voice that the character's mm. going to say it in because you never hear them actually say it so so i suppose there you could you know someone if if they weren't a fan of this uh, ambiguity could argue that it's unfair in some way but i actually just think the way to play this game is to embrace that to embrace the uncertainty of a, you know, a proper role-playing game like life. Sometimes you're going to put your foot in it. Sometimes you're going to say the wrong thing and deal with the fallout of that. I mean, I don't think there's any point where, you know, you would you would be put in a situation where you could break the entire rest of the game yourself by picking one, you know, dodgy conversational choice. I mean, if that's the case, then that wouldn't be so no. good perhaps. But No, they, there's normally a route back. So, yes. you know, mm. sometimes if it's an obvious thing where, you know, this is a life and death decision, like, for example, uh, towards the end of the yeah. game is the business with Morrigan, um, you can, you, you know, if you choose one, there'll be like another bit of dialogue which basically saying, are you sure, oh, you, sure you yeah. want to choose? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's normally pretty obvious and then you think, oh, yeah, actually, no, that's not what I wanted yeah. to do. But there, there is plenty of, we haven't talked of necessarily, you, you end up with a party of characters around you uh, following your quest. So the choices that you make during the game are actually, they do influence how your party behaves around you. So you know, I don't necessarily have any many for, for instances, but I know if you necessarily side with one, you know, one group, one bigger decision, then there could be a party member that truly believed in that other person's cause. And it can actually get to a point where they, they will leave your party and not return. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not just you know the decision you're making. You have to do with the fallout that happens around your party. Now, there's there's lots of micromanagement about you know giving presents and keeping you know people happy and you know taking certain people on certain missions so yeah. you know they feel you know wanted and welcome. All that stuff was really worried me when I first entered Dragon Age because it, it sounded a step too far of what I was after from an RPG. Mm. And it's the stuff that I ended up getting really quite involved with. Mm. Um, certainly because there's huge amounts of relationship potential. And it's not just a case of, oh, I want to see a sexy sex scene. It was a case of, you know, you grow, you know, you're spending a long time with these characters. You actually do grow to have a, you know, quite a bit of fondness between certain characters and actually, yeah. you know, getting them to the point where you, you can actually have a relationship or break up a relationship and have them basically sash you out for the next 20 hours because you, you, you broke the pack with him, the pack with them and, and gone off in a different direction is, is really good. There's, there's a whole ton of banter, um, very well written banter, in fact, um, that follows you throughout that game. With yeah, your, not even with your just companions. when you're at the camp, just as you're walking about. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Like yeah. Proper conversations. I mean, I think everyone, I think, has characters they like and remember from Dragon Age. Anyone who played it, I imagine. Um, a lot of people mention Alistair, um, the sort of slightly naive um, future king. Future king. Yeah um depending on what happens yeah um and uh yes you've got uh there's the, morrigan there's there's morrigan you've got uh, a lot of people like the comedy dwarf ogren but even he has his you know he's got his slightly sad side there's shale who i believe was a dlc character for owners of uh, the new version uh you know for i think it was a code wasn't it for shale but yeah shale's actually a really sort of bizarre and interesting character a stone woman yeah, a stone. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's brilliant. He's really, really powerful as well. Yeah, yeah, well worth having, uh, as mm -hmm. you'd expect. Um, there's a dog um, that you get in different ways depending on who you are. Um, and yes, the whole, I mean, playing it again now when maybe 
um, performances and acting, both in terms mm-hmm. of the digital avatars and the uh, the you know the facial animation and the voice performances. I think things may have moved on a bit because I'm finding it some of it a little bit broad and a little bit pantomimic. But I still, you know, I still I still have a great fondness for them, um, and I think the fact that the script is is pretty strong uh, it keeps keeps it keeps it together um they you know i think it falls into some of the traps of you know they 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 tend to not use abbreviations to make it sound more old you know fanta- fantasy mm-hmm. world so i do not you know that sort of thing and i don't think you really need to do that anymore because it it just sounds a bit like a cliche but um and you know sometimes i think also the audio doesn't sound like they are where they are things like that um it's got that you know studio quality with a bit of echo on it it doesn't sound like they're out in the wilds at all and stuff like that but yeah. but um yeah it's still i i believe um i believe i had one character uh leave me in the first uh, game possibly zevran i'm not sure um the oversexed um elf <laughs> warrior um, the easiest one to bed yeah absolutely um i think i, I can't remember who my uh my woman had a relationship with in the end. I did. I do remember getting the 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 slightly uh, naff eighties style sex scene as Bioware is so so <laughs> so adept. Has to be said that they they went out their way to you know to basically do bisexual sex scenes in, in that game. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, uh, almost. Which is you know the two thousand nine ten nine nine. Uh, no, yeah, almost every character is, is quite forward. I think. I think it depends on. I think. Can are they all potentially bisexual? I'm not sure, but there's no some, some of them are. Some of them are. I think some of them are. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Liliana. Liliana is. certainly is. Oh yeah, I think um, that's that's right. That's who who my my affair was with. I had a, I had a lesbian thing with Liliana. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's cool. It's you know, the, there's the options are there definitely. Um, yeah, Zevran makes it quite clear he's available for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And indeed there is a scene uh, where you can go to a a brothel in one of the bigger towns and you do have the option of uh, paying for men, women or other, which uh, turns out to be a bunch of animals. So it's even got Game of Thrones style. I say Game of Thrones style. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I'm assuming given what I've heard about it, it's probably got some bestiality. I think anything goes, yeah. yeah. but yeah, and the yeah, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about the well, not forgotten, but uh, I had my first opportunity in my current playthrough to go to the to the camp today. As soon as you hit the road, um, obviously in a game like this, for those who haven't played it, you've got a, a nice big yellowing, slightly ripped map with lots of enticing locations on it, um, and they they get more and more as the game goes on, depending on how much DLC you've got installed. And I've got everything installed because I've got the the you know ultimate edition or whatever. Um, you start to get the the choice to go different places at different times, different ways. The game kind of opens up as you'd expect over time. What I was wondering, Jay, you mentioned grinding a long time ago. Mm. Now I, I've I don't remember, other than just wandering around the map and occasionally getting random encounters, I don't remember opportunities for grinding. My my met- Well, uh, yeah, in more in a sense of just I'm a completionist. Doing it's like every every, yeah. every sub-quest, okay. every side mission, that sort that's of thing. That's it. I did, yeah. Right, yeah. I'd prioritise that stuff over the main Absolutely. story stuff. Absolutely. That's how, I don't know about Tony and yeah. Gary, but that is exactly how I always play these games. You always do the least important thing first because you want to get everything, every ring every last drop out of it and find, mm. see everything and 
and while simultaneously leveling up your your party and then the last thing at any given point to do is the story Mm -hmm. yep totally good yep (laughs) you choose your kind of quest list as a a to-do list and the one that's got main written next to it or the symbol you leave for as long as possible yeah that's it i mean i don't know how many uh individual quests this game has but you pick them up along the way there are a lot there are there are uh boards outside the the churches in uh, towns and villages that have uh new stuff put up every depending on where you are in I don't know. I'm not actually sure how it decides. It might be where you're in a story or how many other missions you've done. Um, stuff just happens as you bump into people. You find objects in the world that give you a uh, cause to go and seek out certain dungeons or, or mountain tops and all this sort of stuff. It, I mean, there is, as we've already found out, you know, we've, we've each played it for at least probably, I guess, 60 hours plus. There is a heck of a lot to do. I don't know how short or long a game it would be if you just barreled through the main quest or even if it would be remotely possible to do that because you'd just be too weak wouldn't you i think so i don't i don't know if the game levels with you or not i'm not sure um no the enemies don't do they but i think you would get to the end and you'd be pretty stuffed i'm just Mm. looking i've got the strat guide here i'm just looking uh half of the strat guide is the side quests right so it gives you an idea of so at least half of the game's content Is side quests, and then there are, like you said, billions of random encounters you can have as yeah. well. Yeah, how, how big is that? How many pages in that strategy guide? Just for uh, three hundred, yeah, three hundred and thirty-five. Yeah, so but the first quarter of the book is all just about tactics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the actual main quest is yeah, is less than it's about a third of the entire content. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big old game. It is a big game, and and there's a lot to do in it. Um, we talked earlier about the. The different. Well, we talked a little about the tactics. Um, that that can that can go deep as the characters level up. They open more and more tactic slots, so they have you have more and more if then statements basically to to control your party with. Um, that can get quite complex in itself. And then if you think about the relationship between one your main character and all the others, one thing we haven't mentioned is again for people who haven't played this, you can actually just on the fly pick any of the characters in your party to be at any one time so you can take over um you know somebody who you don't normally play as you don't have to just play as your character your avatar that you've made at the start of the game in in what is a a fairly comprehensive sort of character designer although the the look of them will change throughout the game as you get new armors and things like that um you get to do their face and then redo it after 10 hours of play if you're (laughs) Yeah. Did they? I wonder if is it one of those games where they introduced the possibility of re-editing your character with magic in Awakening? Did I, am I imagining that? It was in the, the second yeah, one. Yeah, right. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it was yeah, the, yeah. Whatever it's called, the black key. Yeah, yeah, it was. yeah. Um, I never, I never liked taking over the characters. I, I always no, it found it wrong, slightly because you, you, you well, I, I guess you know if you. you know, 20, 30 hours into the game, you're meant to be a master of your characters. And, you know, I've played so much of my own character that suddenly switching to a mage and having to take on all the abilities of what she was doing and not really knowing how to work her. I mean, once again, it's it's the depth of this game. You, I'm, I'd imagine you could spend a very long time playing each character, mm. um, you know, micromanaging every single battle like that. And the end, I played it more of a, you know, just a, not a run and gun, but a run and <laughs> just I mean, I loaded up my save and I had this... You know, super duper jewel bladed uh, woman with flaming sword and ridiculous dragon armor, and it's you know she looked completely badass. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know well, that's the main thing. Mm. Yeah, um, 
and of course, naturally, this being a, a an RPG set in a fantasy land, uh, you've got all the usual. Um, where you've got there's a ton of um, crafting items you can pick up and find and learn how to use if you want or not. If you don't, I suppose. Um, every you know a, a percentage of every enemy uh, group that you kill uh, will sparkle when when you kill them if you leave that option turned on and you'll want to. Um, you you can pick up stuff from them. You end up with a huge inventory. Of course, there's a sort of encumbrance situation as well. You can pick up runes and you can enchant weapons by the enchanting people. Um, what else? I mean, it's just it's just it's got it's got every. I can't think of a thing of that type of game that it doesn't mm. have. Really, it's just it's all in there. Um, and yet, I never I never felt. I never felt overwhelmed by it. I, I sometimes, you know, sitting there looking at, you know, doing that thing of, of comparing different boots. Now I've always, or, or, or whatever. Um, I've always felt that Bioware have struggled with ever since Knights of the Old Republic. And this went into Mass Effect as well. The, they don't often in their games just have a simple, this is better than this color or this is better than this plus sign or, you know, the, you know, or certainly they don't have a, a JRPG style, you know, best fit optimal kit kind of button, which, which is something I like, but, I, but I also in this, I quite like the fact that it doesn't have it because it forces you to, again, actually think about every, everything that you're wearing. So, so two boots might have two pairs of boots might have one of them might uh, have point one higher armor but it also it might come with a with like it might encumber you more make you more fatigued so you run out of stamina to do to do your good moves and stuff like that so again all that stuff is is in there and you can you can shortcut past some of it i suppose but ultimately you're if you go into this game you got to kind of want it i mean you got to want that type that side of gaming if if that's not for you it's not like where it's super stripped down like in something like destiny where it's okay that's you know that number's bigger and it does that it's this is but you haven't got past 20 uh, yet so. yeah okay yeah sorry bad example here. um some of those one of those games where it's just art you know armor equals 10 is better than armor equals eight let's say this is this has got this has got multiple factors and uh yeah it's mm. more like it's more like Diablo yeah, but, uh, yeah if you, i mean I, I would say that if you don't like that kind of stuff then stay the hell away from rpgs for start <laughs> yes, i just, would think so yeah. it's as classic as they go yeah absolutely yeah. um so the story as we said is uh uniting very similar to lord of the rings and the fellowship um you are the gray wardens we haven't even mentioned the gray wardens yet you are one of, you are a new recruit of course in the gray wardens um you join up with some other gray wardens uh, a very important gray warden dies leaving you to kind of pick up the pieces and uh unite against the uh, inevitable incoming blight which you know could be metaphorical for something if you wish could be global environmental disaster or whatever but they're nasty oogie boogie monsters who come from under the ground. Um, they're zombies, and they're, they're they they look they look orc like. They look they look like traditional monsters. They're yeah. ogres and beasts and and things like that. Um, so you need uh, to give you to to give your your good selves a chance um, against the blight. You need to as far as possible unite uh, elves, mages, humans, and dwarves to fight to kick them in basically um and that, as you said uh, that takes you around the map uh 
solving different things to get people on your side. Now, um, this is interesting in the sense that now I can't remember um, how much you can mess this up, but I have a feeling it's not a million miles away from the sort of concept in Mass Effect 3 that people may be more familiar with or remember better. That is it actually possible to not have enough resources at the final battle kind of thing or, or to give yourselves a considerably lower chance? Or am I just making that up? I don't think it has a, a massive impact. I think you get some of the dialogue choices you get towards the end are reduced. Right. Uh, and uh, your ability to uh, determine, you know, for example, you may lose some of your party members yeah, so because you reduce choice. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of like key decisions near the end, which if you don't do certain things before that, you won't get those options. So like uh, making Alistair King, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's the only way it affects it. I think the actual any sort of big giant battle at the end is not influenced by okay. it. Right. Um, yes, there is a big giant battle at the end, um, which uh, I think when I played this on console and I was playing on easy, but this stage, it I, I don't remember finding it desperately challenging. I imagine... On normal and above, it will be, um, probably, unless it always makes sure that you're, you know, I, I mean, I assume the balance of the game is is absolutely spot on in, in the sense that you can't, as we say, you can't really grind in any, in a, in the, the way of, you know, you don't can't wander around a field and wait for random encounters. So I assume that it's beautifully balanced to be beatable regardless of what you have or haven't done, if you're good enough um, on any setting. But I, I find it hard to believe that anyone could beat it on hard having done the bare minimum. But I bet there's somebody out there who's done it. There always is, right? I'm no doubt. Yeah. Um, and one thing I do remember is uh, when you have vanquished the uh, the uh, archdemon-type enemy at the end, that, yes, that's what happens, <laughs> amazingly enough, um, you get a quite a, an in-depth multi-screen breakdown as to all the things that happen in the following time between this and the awakening dlc um and again obviously i've only seen my version of this but i assume it felt like there was quite a lot of scope for i think it was mainly told in text maybe some so maybe some simple still scenes or something but it felt like there were a lot of potential endings to this game subtly different ones well yeah i think you know the overall outcome of the world, uh, you know, obviously, you, to, you could, there's different people who could be on the throne. You could be married. You could have a child on the way. Yeah. Someone else could have a child on yeah. the way. Yeah. There's lots of it's uh, very similar to uh, Fallout Three yes. actually, in in having that sort of long epilogue. That's at the right. End. Yeah. I think the the weird thing I found though was that um, obviously you could carry your character forward to Awakenings and Dragon Age Two, mm. but not much of that stuff actually comes with. So you. often the case, isn't it? We've seen mm. this again in uh, things like The Walking Dead, haven't we? Um, and even Mass Effect to a point. There's the amount of work, again, that I think they'd have to do to make those hooks really, really, really mean something is probably beyond what is practically achievable, maybe. It's such a great... I think it's such a great idea. I love it when they do it in games. I, you know, I love that The Walking Dead seasons one to two has it, but when you think about, you know, think about 400 days um, and the lack of impact that anything that happened in that had, even though it supposedly, you know, provided the connecting tissue, as they put it, between the two seasons. Um, and even, you know, the fact that you could... Uh, 
on the PC version, you could sort of hack into Mass Effect and kind of basically, you know, m- turn your your choices throughout the entire Mass Effect into simple. I guess it. I guess it's looking behind the curtain at the it's Wizard of Oz, boxes, isn't it? Yeah. And it? And it is ultimately tick boxes. But obviously, the more the more the more variety they provide in the first game, the more they have to do in the next game. Um, and I think it just becomes Can- unwieldy. I can't remember. Can you carry over your character into awake, Awakenings? Yeah, or does yeah. it just Yes, it, it starts at level 18 or whatever, or higher, depending on what you got to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you could, there is a, uh, you can, yeah, there is a choice you of one character. Off. Yeah, there is a new character. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I certainly played it as my, my female rogue human. I, I certainly know towards the end, I guess there's one big main choice of what, how people are going to get which ending, and that's is, is whether who decides to kill the, de- the, um, the dragon themselves. So essentially, I, I, I believe I chose to kill the dragon. Mm. So that, that meant that Alistair was there and, you know, I was on my deathbed at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, he becomes king. But, you know, conversely, you, you can let him. And I mean, he wants to kill the dragon as well. So, you know, his dream, he you know, feels like he needs to sacrifice himself and, and then you become king. And that's then how you have all the other um, possibilities of that. But I, I believe, I remember correctly that you you're very reluctant you don't want to become king you you want to be a grey warden you want to fulfill the destiny that has been levelled upon your hands where the same really is alistair you know he although he's the true king of the world he, yeah he, he doesn't really see himself as that no. so it's one of those really big decisions towards the end funny enough the one thing that does carry over to awakenings and two is alistair mm. so you know, the things that happen to him are the things that get carried through rather than what happens to your character. So, yeah. so Awakenings, you get, the, you get your character's build and equipment, but actually the way that Awakenings plays out is fundamentally based around what happens to yeah. you. Yeah, that's, that did strike me at the time. I can't remember which decisions I took, but it did feel like the end of the game was all about Alistair, really, and then Awakening, uh. which picks up the story some months later um, and uh, is really about... The, the sort of the continuing efforts to uh, make the Grey Wardens a force again, a bit like the uh, the Jedi or something, I suppose. Um, I, I have I have talking about Awakening. I have fewer memories of the story to that. It felt like it was less consequential, um, probably because you know it wasn't the main story but actually as a piece of you know a piece of content dlc it was solid big um full of new stuff um and uh yeah well, i think it was like it was like uh it was sort of mid price wasn't it like 30 quid when it came out it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't just a I think it's around 15 hours long if you want to do yeah, a lot of stuff it's Decent length. I mean, they could have they could have almost released it as a sequel. You know, well, pretty sure that's what they did with Dragon Age yeah. Two. But you know, it's it, it, it's um, I I funny enough, I actually prefer Awakenings. Right. It's of the three um, parts to the Dragon Age trilogy, I suppose I so far. So. I think Awakenings is probably my favourite. Mm. Um, it the the it's a more focused story, and it's you know the 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 kind of grand thing against the big arch demon and. Yeah, you know, uniting the clans against the common. That's just so rote True. and yeah. In, uh, whereas uh, Awakenings and to some extent what they did with the, the sequel as well, it just feels like a much more you know there's much more focus on on what you're trying to do yeah. and what your overall quest is. And the the the, the antagonist, the the mother, yeah. In uh, she's so cool, and the whole concept of that in that the there is this sort of faction within the Darkspawn that has broken away and is trying to 
do its own thing. Um, and she's got these kind of underlings that are, some of them are with her and some of them are trying to fight against her. It's just, it was just a, a really cool idea in this world. Um, and, and I also like the fact that you basically level faster. So, uh, you, your progression in from, you know, you can start quite high level anyway, but your progression through to being a real badass is much quicker. Mm. And so by the end, you really do feel super powerful. You do, you know, you actually feel like you are the Grey Warden. Um, you know, the Darkspawn are just fodder. It's, it's almost, almost like playing a Dynasty Warriors game by the time <laughs> you reach the end of it. It's almost like your opinion of something like Minerva's Den from Bioshock, where you, know, yeah. They, yeah. you, you enter the world and you already have a bunch of powers. You know, you're not fully powered up but the progression level is that much more mm. shorter that you can you know you can feel you enjoy yeah. the game maybe uh, and they did some good things they introduced a few yeah. new characters one of which then carried forward to dragon age 2 mm. as well uh, and and the new characters they introduced were also super interesting you know they managed to pull the same trick twice so. yeah um ogren returns the uh, the sort of comedy dwarf but you've got uh, anders nathaniel velana justice and sigrun and all all new characters which again yeah must have taken you know, a lot of writing, a lot of voice acting. It, this this wasn't, yeah, this wasn't like, I mean, you know, talking about, we talk about some of the other DLC. Um, I think it's one of those games where it's, as a as a collection of everything, the DLC is well worth having. But I remember at the time when it was coming out in, in dribs and drabs, as Jay said, it wasn't, you know, they, they didn't tend to be um, hugely expensive, uh, but some of them in themselves were you know little more than kind of you know a dungeon with a load of enemies in or something like that yeah well i, I remember as it Liliana's yeah. song yeah, was yeah. i thought that was probably the worst that was one of the weakest yeah it was only about 45 minutes long and it's, yeah, it's her backstory it's, it's forced this forced terrible stealth mechanic mm. which the engine was just yeah. not designed to do yeah it's, that was pretty horrible but uh yeah i think they, i think the dlc they was pretty pretty good i mean this is also i think um it's only really um, Awakenings and um, what was the Oblivion one? The uh, with Shigaroth. Uh, well, there was Knights. Uh, no, the big one. Oh, that's going the, on um, now. The island, wasn't it? That's this off the. Yeah, yeah I know exactly. Which was of similar size. You know, they, these were the two. You know, this was like at the sort of dawn of, um, you know, uh, what they could do with DLC, and it was really the Oblivion DLC and this, which kind of tested the waters in releasing sort of a big chunk of content, almost like an expansion to the mm. old... In, in, it felt very PC-esque when they yeah, announced it. Yeah, and it and itself was cool because you bought the game and if you really enjoyed it, it wasn't a massive investment to have something which is almost like a, a sequel. Knights of the Nine Shivering Isles, that's what I was... Shivering yes. Isles, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Had to be done, yeah. Um, but yes, I think, again, you know, playing playing it now on PC um, and, you know, I imagine this is a, a game where... If you have if you have any sort of a PC from the last couple of years, even if it's not like a specifically a gaming PC, you could probably run Dragon Age simply because it's five years old. I mean, you know, don't hold me to that, but uh, I don't think you'd need a, a powerful rig by today's standards to run it at some level. And that does, you know, give you access to as long as you have a mouse and keyboard, because oh boy, there's no controller support in the PC version. Um, it is all mouse and keyboard. Um, you can almost certainly pick up the the entire thing on uh, either origin or steam for yeah for at some point a, a re- ridiculously pocket money price and um yeah get the ultimate edition and then you just have everything awakening and the seven eight nine bits of dlc as well 
Yeah, it's 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 been a fiver on PSN in the last year. You know, it's been ridiculously cheap yeah. on many platforms. Could even end up being a game with gold because they do go they do go backwards with that stuff in terms of how old stuff is. So who knows? Mm. But yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, let's hear from some of our correspondents from the forum. Jay, can you read to Katie's, please? Dragon Age is a game I can always go back to. I love the story, the characters, the artwork, the music, everything. Creating a game that would live up to Mass Effect would be a tough job, but the brilliant minds at Bioware pulled through and released a stunning gaming experience. The characters in this game are some of the most memorable, from the suave, wisecracking Alistair to the cold, mysterious Morrigan. The characters and the excellent voice acting are one of the aspects that make this game what it is. I love this game as much as I love Mass Effect. Thanks, Katie. And Todinho says, After playing Knights of the Old Republic, I was always looking forward to Bioware's next title, and with the success of Mass Effect, I was really hopeful when it came to Dragon Age. I picked it up day one for PC and played it non-stop until I reached the end, and just as I expected, Bioware had delivered again. What drew me in the most was the world. While at first glance it may seem to be like every cliched fantasy world, and to some extent it is, the sheer amount of detail and thought put into it more than makes up for it. Every place in this world has character of its own. Every historical event is intriguing and open to interpretation, and every race is given enough history and personality to stand out against their counterparts in other fantasy worlds. I especially like how this game tackles religion and magic. It does so in a very smart way and without giving you absolute answers. Second were the characters. Each of them was unique and well-written, and tying the approval system with your relationship with them was a very smart move, even if you can scum the system by buying gifts for everyone, and it was a much better version of the usual Bioware good-evil meter. The gameplay was another surprising highlight, being able to create a unique character of whatever race, class, and gender you wanted. It was great, and the developers really went the extra mile to give each of them a distinct background. This and the great array of dialogue options you could choose were vital in making the player really feel he was role-playing in this world, and not just following a script pre-written for them. The tactical combat was also really refreshing to see. It relied on the player to know what he, she was doing, otherwise they'd be completely destroyed. It should also be said that the animations for some of the kills were great, making the combat surprisingly visceral at times, especially when fighting big bosses. While many will say that Bioware's crowning achievement is the Mass Effect series or Baldur's Gate, for me there is no contest that Dragon Age is the game deserving of that title. And while some criticism can be levied at the now tired Bioware formula, and it's true Dragon Age follows that formula to the letter, its execution is nearly flawless. Dragon Age hits all the right buttons for a good RPG, and I would, wouldn't think twice about recommending it to anyone looking to sink their time into an amazing world. Thanks, Todinho. Tony? Xavier Desmond. I really struggled with Dragon Age Origins when I first started playing it. I've always been a fan of fantasy fiction, so the setting appealed to me, and I enjoyed the beginning of the game. I played through the elf alienage origin story, but then hit a brick wall and gave up. Eventually I came back to it and ended up falling in love with the world and the game. The problem I had was the setup seemed so generic and played out. There is this ancient evil that that is threatening to take over the world and you have been plucked from your ordinary life to become part of an order of legendary warriors. It is your task to defeat this evil and save the kingdom. It really is fantasy fiction by the numbers. Other aspects lead you to believe that the game is going to be the lowest common dominator. 
the blood that covers everyone after a fight, for example. I first finally gave up with the game when the sexy witch appeared. Uh, I guess that was Morrigan. Yeah. Um, it might, might have been <laughs> Fleming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> never have my impressions of a game been so wrong after going back to the game after getting through the initial stages the depth and complexity of the Dragon Age world became increasingly apparent much like Mass Effect Bioware have put such care and attention into the mythology in Dragon Age that it makes the world incredibly rich what I loved about Dragon Age Origins most though were the characters who would have guessed that the sexy witch who I had dismissed at first would turn out to be such a fascinating, complex character like Morrigan? Ultimately, although Dragon Age has its flaws, it's a game I eventually fell in love with and holds a special place in my gaming heart. Yeah, we, I think um, we didn't talk about sales. I think this shipped a few million um, and we didn't talk about reviews. It reviewed very well, slightly better on PC than on console overall. Um, but we didn't get a huge amount of correspondence and I wonder if it's... Um, Maybe that uh, people felt they, you know, they couldn't remember enough about it. And it's certainly uh, to let a little daylight in upon magic, as Danny Baker would say. Um, Tony, Jay and I were all saying before this podcast that we were concerned that we wouldn't remember enough about it to talk about it with authority. I hope that hasn't come across. Um, but I do wonder if, it. yeah, it was a relatively low... Uh, comeback on correspondence and I wonder if that's something to do with it um, because it does surprise me because the game's obviously been out for a very long time and it's been in so many sales and you know anecdotally I know a lot of people yeah. have played it through different you know friends lists etc I suppose and also you know we're unlikely to have either people on this podcast or correspondents who really didn't like the game because they wouldn't have played enough of it to no feedback <laughs> Well, it, it, this is the concern. I mean, ultimately, you know, I'd love going back to the games that we do and, and playing through them again. But, you know, when you look at your save file and realise it was 60 hours, in Joe's case, 100 hours, it's not when you're in this busy time of the year. You think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to jump in. And, yeah, you can spend a few hours and understand stuff. But it, it's then trading on the memories of, of, you know, what pulled you at the time. Like, there's one or two big quests, which I really, really remember. But, um, yeah, I, in my summary, I, I think I can <laughs> put later resting and some of the stuff that I really enjoyed about it. Cool. Uh, we have a handful of three-word reviews from Twitter at Kana Rince. Jay? Uh, Lyra Silver role-playing fantasy frolics. That was Mrs. Tony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, David Stretch actually enjoyed lore. Tom Platt. Alistair so dreamy. And Tom, our vet, actually. Katie Stubbs, Mystical Fantasy Enchantment. And uh, Chris Ploitation, Eat Liliana's Nug. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a euphemism. (laughs) Can you eat Liliana's Nug in the game? Uh, Either euphemistically or otherwise. Uh, Euphemistically, you can, I'm sure. <laughs> does, she, does she have a, a nug's an animal, right? A nug's a little, yeah. Cute. Yeah, I can't remember. Can you eat, okay, I'll make that my mission to eat Liliana's nug. We've managed to have that conversation and keep our non-explicit tag. Right, let us summarise then. Uh, dredge your memory, Jay. Um, would you still recommend Dragon Age? Yeah, I would, and I'm I'm listening to D, to Todino. 
saying that they felt that this was the pinnacle of, of Bioware's sort of uh, achievement so far. I kind of, I, on many levels, I would agree with that. I think in terms of writing, in terms of character development and um, the detail with the relationship stuff and just the game stuff in general, having to read those, uh, the, you know, you had to really pay attention to the conversational stuff, which I really appreciate because Mass Effect felt really binary, you know, it felt really... I suppose from their perspective, it's it, what they do now is streamlining, but it, it felt lesser for it. And and that's coming from the fact that I played Mass Effect first. The Dra- Dragon Age definitely felt like, in many ways, a better game. And whether I would certainly, if people... <laughs> And it's a weird thing when you say you spend 100 hours playing a game, you do wonder if that puts people off even attempting to play into these things because mm-hmm. they think, oh, I, you know, the commitment and stuff. But that was 100 hours that I don't regret. And it was 100. It's just like any game that you get into, that time isn't an issue. You just, you know, you just keep playing. Um, and that's because the the experience is really enjoyable. And it's... I can't think of many games that have given that kind of depth to the sort of inter-character relationship stuff that I've played that Dragon Age did. And, and for that, and um, I guess partly, mainly for that reason is, is the, yeah, I would, I think it's a, you know, it's a great game. Going back to Dragon Age, uh, kind of, it's one of those where I've realized or remembered how fond I was and am of the time I spent with it. Um, it's not it's not necessarily the sort of game I would, you know, people ask me to make a list of my greatest video games of all time, my favourites, you know, the ones that I love, the ones that I'd save from a fire and all that. It's not necessarily one of those, but um, there's a lot of things I really like about it, even despite some rough visual edges. I really like the atmosphere of the world and the actual, the art and design that goes into the world, even if the engine doesn't quite show it off to its best with, with, uh, you know, gorgeous lighting or, or anything like that. Um, and some, yeah, as we said, murky, rough textures, especially in places like the fade, which is this sort of other, other world area you go into mm. just the walls and, and floors in that place just look gross. Not, not in a good way, just like really <laughs> like half finished sort of, Oh, that'll do textures, which I'm sure they weren't. Um, it's just just the way it came out, and stuff like that might be an issue for some people. Um, similarly, people who really don't uh, have any truck with elves and goblins and orcs and uh, you know castles and knights and all that, uh, you've got no business here. Just just walk on. Don't uh, you? You won't probably haven't listened this far. Um, so yeah. It's not for you, but for all those people who maybe people who um, did play and enjoy Mass Effect and or and or Knights of the Old Republic with their sci-fi leanings, um, but who don't have a particular beef with uh, high fantasy or dark fantasy. And as I say, I think really people who were into or are into Lord of the Rings, either the films or the book, or especially Game of Thrones, either the books or the TV series, um, if you haven't played Dragon Age... Um, I'd sit down with it and immerse yourself in it because I think you can play it either as a really hardcore tactical combat focused RPG where you pause the action between every action and you micromanage these macros and make your characters do everything you want. Or you can actually, if you, if you crank it down to easy, 
And uh, once you've got over probably still initial hurdle, as we discussed, um, you can play it more like a, it's almost like a, like Telltale's Walking Dead. And it's just a huge, long series of sort of ethical quandaries and, and political questions only on a much grander scale. So it's got a lot, yeah, a lot going for it, um, as well as, yeah, fantastic soundtrack and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and yes, just a ton of content if you get the, uh, the ultimate edition or whatever. So, um, yes, I still recommend it. Absolutely. Tony? I think Dragon Age from, from the outside looks like it's quite an impenetrable game. Um, and I think if, you know, if you think high fantasy, oh God, do I want to get involved with that? And then you, you look at the fact that there's tactics, etc. You know, I, I can see how it puts people off suddenly with the, the length of the playing time. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sh- sure how it plays out on the PC version if you just crank it down to easy, um, whether it plays the same as the console version. But I was really pleased that, you know, I, I could approach it in a different way than, than have that tactical, um, you know, cho- I, I'm glad the choice is there. But me, you know, I played it very much as a, uh, as, you know, not a brawler, but I, I enjoyed the story more than the combat. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be scared of that. Now, what I remember saying back in 2010 is, is when I played it. Oh, man, if I played this in 2009, it would have been my game of the year. <laughs> now, why is that a big deal? Well, that's a big deal because stuff like Uncharted 2 came out that year. Um, and, I, and you know what? I still probably stick by that. And, and I think that comes down to the fact is that, yeah, 60 hours is a huge commitment. But also, you know, it's 60 hours of learning the characters and, you know, being embroiled in these, you know, these big political decisions and not in the kind of very po-faced way. It's, it's you know, they're challenging and interesting um, conversations to be a part of. And I think you know you look at the a lot of their other series. Certainly, Mass Effect has is maybe diluted some of the the tougher choices to to have a broader appeal. I think you know maybe Dragon Age is, is following the same suit with its its sequels. But like the Mass Effect series, I love Mass Effect One and had dwindled off from the series the further it's got because I kind of like just kind of micromanaging all the, the little bits and sorting through my armor, etc. That isn't for everyone, but for me, it was really good fun. So I I remember absolutely adoring Dragon Age back in 2010. And the thing that stops me from going back to it now is the fact that I don't have 60 hours of my life to, to relive those memories. But um, I'm going to just work off the memory that I thought it was the best game I played in 2009. So that, to me, is high praise indeed. And just going back and listening to the music and entering the world and playing you know just the first couple of hours of the game again reminds me of the fact that this was a world i got utterly absorbed and lost in for a very long period of time so i think big thumbs up from me just out of interest tony did you play the mm-hmm. sequel i didn't and this is the you know peer pressure etc and it works both the you know positive and positive negative ways yeah. and negative mm. and you know the positive was gary yeah. going actually it's pretty good. There was good at least somebody people... out there now. I can't remember who it is. Uh, but there was a uh, a female uh, podcaster attached to Gamers with Jobs who said that Dragon Age Two was her favourite video game of all time, and she she played and, and it there's... like nine times in a row or something. So it's you know for some people it really has something. And I'm not really one that that bows to that, but I, I think back then I you know I really loved the first game, and was apprehensive about 
you know maybe messing around with memories of of that so it's it's an easy choice to make to avoid something than to engage with something and i chose to avoid it because it was a a you know a big long game and they're the easiest ones to avoid True. yeah it's always something i've regretted because i know other people that have enjoyed it and i'd love to see the continuation of the story and with inquisition coming out you know to tie in almost not quite this podcast but in a, in a that is why we scheduled short, it now yes yeah. yeah so a relatively short it got delayed it's not yeah. awful but you know, <laughs> a relatively short period of time um i would have felt I, I do feel like i want to play that one and whether i'm missing you know aspects of the sequel but you know to now go and play the sequel is you know is a I think you'll be all right, Tony. Dragon Age Two is a completely separate thing. Super, but maybe maybe <laughs> play it for this podcast one day. Yeah, it's it's something I think I probably will. Um, you know, just it's short, short as well. Isn't yeah, it? Like twenty hours. So short I'm and off. repetitive. Play now. <laughs> By all accounts. Anyway, we're not talking about Dragon Age Two. Uh, Gary, Dragon Age Origins and Awakening, please. So I think uh, the. Sh- Bioware's strength in in all of their games, going back to the very beginning, is that they can create really fascinating and interesting worlds and complex and intriguing characters. Um, they're the only ones for me that knew what to do with Star Wars because you know the film version of Star Wars is anything but complex and interesting. Um, but they seem to make it complex and interesting. And I feel with Dragon Age, they created a a a universe in which lots of different stories could be told. I, however, feel that the origin story itself is yet another <laughs> Bioware. Let's take on, let's you know, unite the factions and take on the universe. And it was very pleasing that uh, the Awakenings try to do something very different. And I, my my big hope for the future is that you know I am a fan of this series. You know I've enjoyed all of the output that they've had rather, you know, save maybe a bit of one or two bits of DLC. And my big hope for Inquisition is that it doesn't revert back to type and become this, let's unite the factions hmm. against the big bad enemy again. And that they do stick to the trend that they've set over the, the last two pieces of content, which is to focus on a, a much more interesting and intimate story based around characters rather than one about a, a world in crisis. Hmm. It it is interesting to think of quickly to move on, but it's um, I think of Skyrim and the amount of time I spent in that, and that was always about just being in a, a massive open mm. world that was. Well, I would say that in Oblivion and Skyrim, that the most interesting things in that are the subplots and the uh, the the non main quest things, which is how which is again the same thing really in that they create a wonderful world and then they create the best stories are the ones that are focused on a small part of that. And uh, and and I you know Bioware brilliant at doing that. I mean you know the highlights of if you think back to the Mass Effect games and Dragon Age, your highlights are certain quests, not the actual story itself. Well, that's but but I you know my my takeaway from something like Skyrim is you know I remember you know walking across the world and being just blown away by the detail of the environment. That's not mm-hmm. what you go to Dragon Age for. You know that stuff no. is, is secondary. What you go to Dragon Age for is you know the role playing sections of it, and they do that stuff extremely well. Where you know I. Maybe some people would disagree, but I felt you know, a lot of the the Skyrim stuff was was very very um, rote, <laughs> should, should I say? But like I said, no, that, I that stuff was kept I, in in you know. I agree. So they're able to create. I was going to say when they create a, a world and a universe, they create all these different races which have all these complex relationships. Where I feel in uh, the Elder Scrolls stuff, it tends to be quite binary. Mm-hmm. 
That's the difference. Well, I think, the Elder Scrolls is, a, an, as you can imagine, the series as a whole is an oft-requested cane and rinse, and there are f- fairly obvious reasons why we haven't done any of them either. Blimey, that's an undertaking. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, no promises. Uh, we'd like to someday, but uh, with cane and rinse, it's about where we start, where we finish, um, and actually finishing the games to an, uh, to the extent that we're happy about talking about them. Well, back to Morrowind, then. Yeah, but at least back to Morrowind, if not further. You can play. Uh, you can Oof. play the. You can play the first two for free i believe so um i think that would be a challenge but uh an interesting one anyway uh gary blower thanks for joining us at relatively short notice and talking dragon age um now for our listeners who need a smattering of shorter podcasts in their lives as well as our lengthy ones uh, where can they find your stuff Yes, they can find our half-hourly show twice a week over at gameburst.co.uk or obviously you can find it on your your iTunes or other podcast-captured technology, I suppose. That's it? That's all you want to plug? Yeah. Well, that's okay. Uh, yeah, so video, <laughs> we do video games, we do board games, we do uh, news, uh, and we do uh, so a new show every Sunday and a feature show every Thursday. And get quizzes. Oh yeah, quiz, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they occasionally they play a yeah. game like we do, but they talk they somehow manage to talk about it in half an hour instead of two. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, we do yeah, replay, <laughs> which is yeah, much yeah, much, much shorter. It's more of I kinda of like to think of it as, as like um you know, some sort of pop jury where it's, you know, hit yeah. or miss. So yeah, we don't go. Game burst, there you go. Um, Gameburst.co.uk. Uh so it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Jay, Tony, and Gary. And to tell you that next time, concluding Volume 3 in Issue 150, it's shiny jackets, sinister masks, and an unreliable narrator in Hotline Miami. Cue breathy vocals. <laughs> <laughs>